Romans chapter 11, verses 17 through 36. Paul's in the middle of this, of this uh, topic of dealing with whether or not God's done with national Israel. And he says, but if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember that it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you'll say, well, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Well, that's true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Now, lest you be wise in your own sight, I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved, as it is written. The Deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Now, as regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Now tonight's study is important because many in Christendom today teach that the church has replaced Israel in God's plan. They say that God is done with natural or national Israel and all the promises for Israel will be fulfilled in and through the church Many are actually, and unfortunate, in many of our churches today in America are pro-Palestine because they don't believe that God, they believe that God's done with Israel and that the church is now the fulfillment of Israel and all the promises for Israel. And as you're going to see tonight from our study as we continue where we picked up, we pick up from where we left off three weeks ago, Paul's in the middle of a whole chapter laying out that God is not done with national Israel. There will come a point where what he's doing right now by having them receive a hardening in part comes to an end. He takes the church to be with him, and he finishes all the promises for national Israel. Now, as we saw at the end of our study last time, if we think that God is done with them, then we'd have to throw away most of our Bibles. They, the Jews, were broken off as branches because of unbelief, as we read tonight. And we, the Gentiles, have been grafted in through faith. But Paul also reminds us that we are wild olive shoots, and they are natural branches. So God's grafting them back in, in the end, will be no big deal. If he could graft us in as non-natural branches, it won't be a big deal for him to graft them back in when he finishes his plan for them. So keep that in mind. 
And also to think that God is done with Israel and that the church in, is the focus and center of attention now is also dangerous, since it not only contradicts Scripture, but will also cause some to think that they're okay because they're part of the church. Just like the Jews who thought that they were okay because they were Jews. The Bible actually talks about the importance of us abiding in the vine. If you remember, here Paul said, don't become proud, but fear. And unfortunately, the attitude of unfortunately a lot of Christians that are being taught that the church is the replacement for Israel. And all the promises that were taught, given to Israel are now being fulfilled in the church. And God's done with Israel. And the church age is the end of everything. Listen closely. That's a proud attitude that says we're better, we've responded, he's done with them. And the Bible's very clear, don't become that way. We need to humble ourselves. And I want to remind you, we don't have time to go there tonight, but Jesus in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 6, talked about the importance of abiding in the vine. Where he's the vine, we're the branches, and we need to hang on to him by what? Faith. They were cut off because of their unbelief. And we've been grafted in through faith. But folks, we need to, and you're going to see this hopefully by the end of our study tonight, we need to have an attitude that Paul ends up with where if we're honest, we don't fully understand all of this. This is pretty big stuff and deep stuff. And Paul ends this whole chapter by saying, oh, the depth of the wisdom and the riches and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments, his paths beyond tracing out. And who's ever really understood fully God's mind? And we're going to get to next week when we gather together. Chapter 12 begins with in view of God's mercy. In view of the fact that this is his plan, everything's for him, through him, and by him, and about him. And he's doing all this according to his predetermined plan. And in view of the fact that he's allowed us to be a part of it for a season, we need to humble ourselves and offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Be careful, though, of thinking that the church is the end-all, be-all. It's not. We're not. And we need to keep a humble attitude that says... I'm saved by the grace of God. And he's using the church right now to make Israel jealous, as we've been seeing, to show them that we didn't do anything to earn it. We haven't been taught all the rules and regulations, and we're not righteous by how good we are like the Jews, unfortunately, thought. He took a group of people, ragtag bunch like us, who aren't impressive, and the world doesn't even look at us as very impressive. And he's given us salvation. Why? Because of his grace. Because of his mercy. As we humble ourselves and say, he's God, and the only way I can be made right with him is through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus, God himself, came and took on human form. Lived in a human body like yours and mine. Lived without sin. Was punished in our place on the cross and rose from the dead by his own power. And all who would believe that are given eternal life. But don't miss this. This church age that we're in right now is just a small blip in the plan of God's eternal plan that's been playing out for all the ages. Actually, there was a different way that he worked when it was in the garden. And then between the garden, as we've already seen in our study of Romans, between the garden and when the law came, there was the age of conscience. And then, and then after that was the time of the law. And now's the church age. And he's going to go back to a seven-year tribulation period. And then there's going to be a millennial kingdom where Jesus rules and reigns on the earth. And then after that will be the eternal state. There's still a whole lot more to go on. This is just a small part. And we need to humble ourselves and say, Lord, You've made a few promises to the nation of Israel and to the forefathers. Right now, because of the gospel, they're enemies because of the gospel, but because of God's election, because God's of eternal plan, he's not done with them. He's made promises to the forefathers, and the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. By the way, before we go there, 
and look at some of these gifts and promises to the early uh, church fathers, sorry, not church fathers, but the nation of Israel and the, father, the patriarchs, let that encourage you. If God's gifts and his call are irrevocable, what does that mean for you and my salvation? We're secure. If he, his salvation is a gift, and his gift, if once it's received, Jesus himself said, I will lose none that the Father's given me. Man, thank God for that. Oh, but don't become proud and think that now the church is all there is. No, no, no. We're going to come to an end. This time period is going to come to an end, and Israel is going to, God's plan for national Israel, when he grafts them back in, is about to begin. God's plan all along was to save Jew and Gentile and to make them into one new people, a people for God's glory. But unfortunately, there was enmity between the two groups and still is to this day, even though God has always planned them to be together. I'm going to take you through a bunch of passages of Scripture tonight that kind of lay this all out. God's plan for the eternal state, when you get to the study of Revelation and you get to the new heaven and the new earth, the eternal state, you're going to notice that the new Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven on this whole new earth that's going to be made at that time, it comes down and it's so big, but its foundations and its gates are made up of the church and Israel. you got the apostles and you get the 12 tribes. God's plan all along was that Jew and Gentile, everyone would be able to be a part of his eternal plan. Yet, even though salvation has always been by faith in God's provision for man's sin, he chose for a season to choose a people that he was going to reveal himself to and actually have the Messiah come through the people of Israel, starting with Abraham. And he had his plan for them. Unfortunately, though, they thought they were the be all and end all and that God didn't like everybody else. And they missed it. And unfortunately, the church started to have that attitude over the years. Now, part of the reason why the early church and for most of the church age, there has been this replacement theology that the church has replaced Israel is partially because for the first almost 2000 years of the church age, there was no Israel. I mean, if you think about it. The nation of Israel was scattered, AD 70, the city of Jerusalem was destroyed, and by 135 AD, there was no national Israel in the land anymore, and they were scattered. But in our time period, in 1948, something miraculously happened. All of a sudden, the nation of Israel became a nation again in one day, just like the prophecy said they would. And on top of that, God has been regathering them little by little to set the stage for the Antichrist to come into the city of Jerusalem and the temple that's going to be rebuilt and chase them out one more time when God, Jesus himself, then comes back and sets up his kingdom on the earth. All of a sudden, people that read, for, for like say for almost the first 2,000 years of the church age, whenever they would read Israel, they would think, well, it can't mean the national Israel. There is no Israel anymore. And I don't know how many of you are historians or love to study history, but if you do a little research, you'll find that no nation, having been removed from their land, over 200 to 300 years ever came back as a nation again. Yet the nation of Israel miraculously became a nation again in their land after almost 2,000 years of being scattered. We're talking supernatural works here. God's not done with Israel. So here's what I want to do. is I want to take you through some scriptures that show that God's plan all along was that his people would be a mixture of Jew and Gentile. Go to Isaiah 49. Go to Isaiah 49. Look at verses 1 through 6. Isaiah 
In Isaiah 49, starting in verse 1. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples, from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver he hid me away. And he said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, is it too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob, that's Israel, and to bring back the preserved of Israel? I will make you as a light for who? The Gentiles, the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. God had a plan for the nation of Israel, that he would use them as a light to the nations, to the Gentiles, that his salvation would be for everyone. Go to Isaiah 60. Look at verses 1 through 3. In Isaiah 60, verses 1 through 3. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the people's. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations, talking to Israel, shall come to your light, and the kings to the brightness of your rising. This is prophecy about the future glory of Israel when Jesus comes and sets up his kingdom in Jerusalem and over the whole earth. And nations are going to come to worship the Lord because of what he's done in the nation of Israel in the last days. But again, why was God, what was God's plan originally and will be ultimately with the nation of Israel? To bring his glory in and to have nations come to worship God. He's right now using us. We're in that season where we are the light of the earth and the light of the world and, and the salt of the earth. And we're the ones that he wants to use to bring glory to himself. But he's not going to finish with us. When our time period is over, he will fulfill the promises for Israel. But all along, God has planned Jew and Gentile to be saved. Go to John chapter 8. Look at verse 12. John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus said, spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let me read it one more time. Jesus spoke to them and said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now go back to John chapter 1. Look at verses 10 through 13. John chapter 1, verses 10 through 13. It says, He, Jesus, was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own people, he, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now we see it. Now we'll go back to verse 6 in this section too and kind of set the stage. There was a man, John the Baptist, sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. 
He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Who is this light that they're talking about here? It's Jesus. I'm the light of the world, he said. Whoever believes in me will not walk in darkness. But he came to his own. Who were his own? The Jews. But his own didn't receive him. But to all who did receive him, who did believe, he gave the right to become children of God. Go to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, verses 42 through 48. Paul's preaching here in Acts chapter, two, chapter 13, starting in verse 42. And as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. This is interesting. Paul's been teaching in a synagogue. And they begged him that these things might be told the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism. Did you catch that? That's Jews and Gentiles. Followed Paul and Barnabas, as, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. Now, before I read any further, don't miss this. Paul's been preaching in the synagogue, and the people are cut to their heart to the point that they're curious. They're, they're being drawn, and they say, we want to hear more. We want to hear more about this, Jesus. We want to hear more about this that you're talking about. Could you come next Saturday, next Sabbath, and teach some more? And as they're leaving the synagogue and talking about when can you come back and talk some more... Paul says a very interesting thing. He says, continue in the grace of God. In other words, God's begun to draw you. You have a responsibility now to respond appropriately. Keep reading verse 44. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, that were, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For the soul the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. By the way, that's quoting one of those Isaiah passages we just looked at. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. The Jew, when the next Sabbath comes, the word has spread throughout that week and the whole city pretty much comes to hear. But the Jews didn't like it because it was messing up the fact that it was supposed to be all about them, not everybody else. By the way, I've learned over the years as a traveling preacher and a pastor for years in churches, when you really teach people what it means to walk in the freedom of grace in Jesus Christ, there's a lot of Christians that don't like it. There are a lot of pastors that don't like it because a lot of pastors want to have control of their flock with the rules and the regulations. And when you teach people the grace and to follow Jesus and to be led of the Spirit, all of a sudden they don't want to hear that because it messes up all their control issues. I actually, there's a church in the state of Florida which I used to speak at regularly, but one day I said this in a sermon. If you're not supposed to be on a committee that you're on right now, because God has not called you to be doing that, but you were pressured by the pastor or whoever, and you're not supposed to be doing that because that's not your gift, you're free to quit tonight. The pastor has decided that I am not to preach there anymore. Because he doesn't want to lose workers. There's a freedom in following Jesus that there, those of us who start thinking it's about us and our kingdoms and our plans, the nation of Israel was loving the fact that they were the chosen people. They hated the Gentiles. They didn't want them to be a part of it. But that was never God's plan. 
He was going to be blessing the whole world through the nation of Israel. Of course with the Messiah, but many other ways. And we have to be careful as well that we in the church don't think it's about us and about what our thing. And we rewrite our, the, the Bible and redesign our theology to make it all about us in the end. And how we're going to bring in the kingdom and we're going to change the world for Jesus. The Bible says many are going to be going to destruction and wides that path and narrows the way to eternal life. And few there be that find it. Jesus himself said when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? But you can find lots of churches that will talk about how... The church is going to change the world. Actually, Jesus said it's going to get worse and worse. And if the salt loses its saltiness, what good is it? Folks, listen to me. There's going to be godlessness in the last days. There's going to be people that turn away to false doctrines and myths and fill up their ears, their itching ears with preaching that will make them feel good. But the Bible has said all along that the church age is going to come to a close. And God's going to finish what he promised for the nation of Israel. Go to Acts 26. Go to Acts 26. We're just a portion of what he's been doing all along. Acts 26, look at verses 1 through 23. Paul's defending himself before Agrippa now. and he, So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. He said, I consider myself fortunate that it's before you, King Agrippa, that I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you're familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth sent from the spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope I am accused by the Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison and re after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them and often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme in raging fury against them. I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Now in connection to this, in my chasing them to foreign cities, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. Now at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes. Who was Paul being sent to? The Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God and that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, 
that they should repent and turn to God and performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I've had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light to both our people and to who? To the Gentiles. Paul says, I was one of those people that thought the Jews were the end all be all. And I even killed anyone who didn't see that we were the best. And our way was it. And in doing so, I met Jesus face to face. And I came to realize he wants everyone to be saved, not just the Jews. And the only way you can be saved is through faith in him. The one he rose from the dead. And you will have eternal life if you believe. And now my whole life is spent as a Jew going out to the reach, preach this message to not just the Jew, but also to the Gentiles. Go to uh, Luke chapter 2. Let me show you something that you might have missed in all the Christmas messages we've heard about the birth of Jesus. In Luke chapter 2, look at verses 25 through 32. In Luke 2. Verses 25 through 32. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. By the way, does anybody know who the consolation of Israel is? The Messiah, the promised one, the Christ. So he was waiting for the promised one that the Old Testament prophets had said would come. He was waiting for the Christ, the Messiah. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents, this is Mary and Joseph, brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, Simeon took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Time for me to die. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light of revelation for who? Gentiles. To the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. By the way, all throughout the Old Testament, it was very clear that salvation was for Jew and Gentile alike. The mystery that Paul is now being used of God to reveal is that the Gentiles are co-heirs Equal in receiving the promises that have made for Israel. All the things that God has promised Israel are ours now, actually. But that doesn't mean that now we're the new Israel. No, no, no. We're just a part of Israel. We've been grafted in. And those Jews who did not believe were cut off as those branches. But he's going to graft them back in again. The prophecy said that he would. And he has to. Or he's not God because he'll have broken many promises to the nation of Israel. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verses 11 through chapter 3, verse 6. Ephesians starting in verse 2, chapter 2, starting in verse 11, all the way through chapter 3, verse 6. Paul's writing to the Gentiles. He says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, 
who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but your fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now for this reason... I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, we're going somewhere with this. First off, you remember at the beginning of the church age, Satan tried to make two different branches of the church, the Jewish branch and the Gentile branch, right? And God having to keep blow that up and saying, no, it's all one Jew and Gentile together. Well, if they're going to be a part of us, since the salvation is coming from the Jews, uh, they need to be circumcised and they got to follow the law of Moses. And the early church leaders had to get together there in Acts chapter 15 to prayerfully wrestle with this issue. And they came to understand from the scriptures and the Holy Spirit that God was saying, no, you don't have to be circumcised and follow the law of Moses in order to be saved. You're saved by grace alone through faith. And that's it. But there's always been this division between Jew and Gentile. And unfortunately, even in the church now, there's a hatred toward the nation of Israel. Listen, we've already read and there's more. God is wanting to save all of us. We should have a heart for the people of Israel. We should be praying for the Jews. We should be praying that they not only come to know Jesus, but they would respond appropriately when these days that are still to come upon them as a nation happen, that they would be that group who will be saved as we saw at the end of our chapter for today in Romans 11. How all Israel that survives that tribulation period will be saved. We should be praying for the nation of Israel, not saying the church is the end all be all and God's done with the Jews. No, he's removed the, the hostility. He has brought us together. Our attitude should be, thank you, God, for my salvation, and I want them to have it too. May they turn to you. May they continue in your grace as you draw them. May they respond, and may I not become ever proud and think that I'm better because I believe and they don't. Folks, the anti-Semitism is going to grow in this world, the Bible says so, even to the point that the prophecies say that at one point, every nation on the earth will be against Israel at the same time. And that means if America even exists at that time, we as a nation will be, because God's word said it, will be anti-Israel, and we're heading in that direction faster and faster every day. But the church should not be a part of that group. The church should be saying, Lord, you've removed the wall of hostility. You've all along wanted it to be for everyone. 
You chose the people of Israel for a season to be your light and have the Messiah come through them. They didn't do too good, but we haven't looked too good either. Father, give us grace. May our attitude change. Go to Revelation 21. Look at verses 9 through 14. I referenced this earlier, but I want you to see it. Revelation 21, verses 9 through 14. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues. And he spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance, like a most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and at the gates, 12 angels. And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. Now on the east, three gates, on the north, three gates, on the south, three gates, and on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Do you see it? The new Jerusalem, when the, new, the eternal state begins, the foundations of the city and the gates are tied to the nation of Israel and the 12 tribes in the church, the 12 apostles. This has been God's plan all along. When one group starts thinking they're better than the other, we're totally missing God's plan. Paul said, I used to be one of those people, but I'm not anymore. And I don't know who's here today and where your theology is or who is listening right now or who eventually tunes into this, but listen to me. I pray that you would have a heart change just like Paul when he was wrong on one side of the argument or the other, and that you too would understand that God is not done with national Israel. And don't think that you're, you've replaced them. We're co-heirs. And as you're about to see, the scripture says that he is not done with his eternal plan for the nation of Israel. As we saw last time when the church age or the times of the Gentiles is done, God will fulfill all of his promises to Israel and their forefathers. Remember, I know it was three weeks ago, but do you remember all those Old Testament prophecies we talked about, the restoring of the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem? Remember that? The restoring of the fortunes and how we saw in Acts chapter 3, verses 17 and following, how Peter is preaching. And he said, God, Jesus has gone to heaven until the time for restoring all the things that were prophesied. And we looked at the prophecies and how they said it's going to be rebuilt the city of Jerusalem is going to be rebuilt. It's going to be divided into three parts during the tribulation period at the final earthquake. The center of Jerusalem is going to be raised up. There's going to, that's where the temple of the Lord is going to be. He's going to come back and set up his kingdom. There's going to be a flattened area north and flattened south. And, and he's going to start rebuilding it from this wall to this gate to this place. And it's going to be an amazing time during the millennial kingdom. But the prophecies say literally that Jesus will rule and reign from Jerusalem. Over the whole globe. Go back to Romans 11 now. Look at verses 25 through 32. Lest you be wise in your own sight. I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Now we need to stop for a second. All along, salvation has been available to everyone. But if we're faithful to the scriptures, there are times in the history of the world that God gave more of a drawing of his spirit to some people than others. Would we not agree? 
Didn't Jesus himself even say that it'll be easier in the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah than it would be for Capernaum because they received more light than Sodom and Gomorrah did? In the same way, when Jesus was on the earth, he said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Salvation was being offered first and foremost to the Jews. Now, was it available? Please get this answer right. Are we going to start Romans 1 all over again? Was it also available to the Gentiles at that same time? Yes, but they weren't being drawn as much. They had enough light to respond, and they would be held accountable for how much God revealed to them. But God was drawing more the Jews than the Gentiles. Correct? An interesting thing happens, though. I think it's around John chapter 12. We see all of a sudden that even though God was drawing the Jews, and the Gentiles still were available to respond to this, and they were being drawn too, but not as much, that all of a sudden in John 12 we see that a group of Greeks all come to Philip, and they say, we want to see Jesus. Philip goes and gets Andrew, and the two of them go to Jesus, and they say, there's a group of Greeks that want to see you. And Jesus' response is very interesting. He said, it's time for me to die. Why was that the signal? Why was that the signal that it was time for him to go to the cross? Because God was moving his drawing from the Gentile, Jews to the Gentiles. Before it was a Gentile here and a Gentile there. But now all of a sudden there's a group of Gentiles that all want to see Jesus. And Jesus recognized my father is moving his drawing from the Jews to the Gentiles. Can Jews still be saved today? Yes. But who is he drawing more right now? Jews or Gentiles? Gentiles. There's going to come a point where that drawing is going to go back to the nation of Israel. And the time of the Gentiles will be coming to an end. And folks, that's what I'm watching for and praying for. I want to start seeing a revival, if you will, of Jews coming to faith. A big resurgence of that. I would love to see that because you know what that means for us. It's time to go see him until he finishes all the promises. So a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the full hard, fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. Not the whole nation, because there's lots of Jews that are in hell. But it's the nation that survives the tribulation period, as we've seen all the prophecies put together to show us. At that point, all Israel that survives will be saved. That's why Jesus in Matthew 24, talking to the Jews and said, And he who stands firm to the end will be saved. The end of the tribulation period... The ones who survived of the nation of Israel are the ones who believed. The deliverer, the promise says, the deliverer will come from where? From Zion. He'll banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. It's still to happen for the nation. As regards the gospel, the Jews are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, God's eternal plan, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so too they have now been disobedient, in order that by the mercy shown to you they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. Now as Paul comes to the end of this chapter, he can't help but sit back and marvel at God's plan. Let me say this again. God's plan. I'm going to be honest with you. For years, I was taught that the church age was the last part. And that when we're done, we all go to heaven. But the more I started to study the scriptures and the more I kept letting the spirit of God show me what's here, 
And you have to realize, folks, I wasn't raised under any denomination. You know, Jim, you're just a dispensationalist because you were raised. Now, listen closely to me. We're all dispensationalists of one level or another. You believe in an Old Testament and a New Testament? Of course. Well, you're a dispensationalist then. Do you believe Hebrews chapter 1 where it says in the past God spoke through his prophets, but now he's speaking through his son? Guess what? That's dispensationalism. He's working one way at one time and another way at another time. But all along it's been by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But listen closely to what I want you to hear. I wasn't raised in a denomination. I got my seminary degree from a Southern Baptist seminary. But I didn't even know what a Southern Baptist was until 1984. I got saved, born in 1965, and I got saved in 1973, and I grew up in a little church in New Hampshire that all the Protestants met together in one little building, and, and the Roman Catholics met in another building because the town was so small, you couldn't have a Methodist and a Baptist and a Presbyterian and so on. And so I didn't even grow up under a certain denomination. We were a community church, and honestly, whatever the pastor believed is what the church believed. And I was raised under that kind of teaching and didn't even know what a Southern Baptist was until 1984. I just thought it was a Baptist church in the South when we moved from New Hampshire down to here. But they were willing to pay for my school as I went to seminary. And so I said, yes, let's go. And I went there. And as I began to study the scriptures, I started to realize what his theology was and God's plan was. And you know what? You can't put me in a group. I found that there are groups that I most likely align with doctrinally more than others. But let me just tell you, you're going to have a hard time pinning me down. Or oh, you're a Calvinist. You're an Arminian. You're this. You're... I'm not in any group. I want to be faithful to the word of God. But the more I started to realize what God's word was saying, the more I started to go, wait a minute. We're going to come back here. He's going to take us to go be with him for a period. But we're coming back. For a thousand years on this earth, I'm going to be honest with you, Sheila, I didn't like it. I didn't want to come back. I want to leave here, go there, and stay there. But that's not God's plan. God's plan is that we come back with him when he sets up his kingdom. And we're going to rule and reign in some way with him according to our reward for our faithfulness now. And Yet there's still going to be sin during that time period. Righteousness will definitely be way bigger than it is now. And there'll be fewer sin. But there still will be sin. Jesus is going to rule with a rod of iron. There's still going to be humans who have been born during the millennial kingdom who are going to be sinners. And they're going to have it in their flesh. And there's going to be an army that Satan's going to be able to tempt when he's released from the pit to come and fight against Jesus at Jerusalem. And i got to be honest, I didn't want to come back. But I'm getting excited about the millennial kingdom. You know why? Because it's God's plan. This is his plan. We all look forward to that eternal state where we don't remember anything that's happened prior to that anymore. And he erases all of that and we spend eternity with him. But between now and then, there's still a lot more that he's got in mind. And this is God's plan. And the sooner we humble ourselves and submit to it, the better. And Paul sits back. Listen to what he says. I'm going to paraphrase verses 33 through 36. He said, we will never totally understand God's plan or figure it all out. That's what he says. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Do you understand that we're never going to fully understand it? Does that mean we just sit back? No, no, no. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 2, it's to the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it's also the glory of kings to search matters out. In Deuteronomy 29, 29, it says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children. We're accountable for what He's shown us, 
But don't think you'll ever fully understand it and have it all figured out. Oh, and how many of us have been sucked into, as Rick and I were talking about tonight beforehand, trying to figure out the return of Jesus. We know he's going to come and gather the church in the rapture, and this has got to be the year. No, let it go. You'll never totally understand it or figure it all out. But then he also says this, who can know God's thoughts? Look at verse 34. Who has known the mind of the Lord? I'm going to stop there real quick. How many of you know the mind of the Lord? No. Now we have the spirit of Christ within us and he'll reveal much to us so we can understand things that the world doesn't understand. But can any of us say, I totally understand everything God's thinking? No, you never will because you'd have to be God to do it and none of us will ever get there. But I'm going to ask you another question. I want honesty here. The rest of that verse says, or who has been his counselor? Anybody here been God's counselor? Let's all raise our hands. We've all given him advice. Have we not? We've all applied for the position. God, if, it's, if you'll only let me marry so-and-so, everything will be great. Lord, I think you should heal this person and not that person. Lord, I, you understand what I'm saying? We have a tendency to tell God how things ought to be. He doesn't need counselors. Who can advise him? What does he owe us for anything that we've done? Remember Acts 17, 25? He's not served by human hands if he needed anything. Look at, look at verse 35. Or who has given a gift to God that he might be repaid? In other words, what does he owe you? Well, he owes me because I've... Mm, be careful. Yeah. He doesn't owe you anything. Anything you get, the promises that he's made. But anything that you get, the, th the things that we get, though, are by his grace and his mercy. And that's why we're going to get to next week in view of his mercy. We're to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. I can't wait. We're going to spend almost the whole time next week just in two verses in Romans 12. We're going to dive into Romans 12, 1 and 2, deeper than you probably ever want to. But I can't wait to show it to you. But we'll get there next week, unless there's another hurricane. All right, look, look, at, look at this last part here. Look at verse 36. For from him and through him and to him... Are all things to him be the glory forever. Amen. This is all about who? It's all about him. This is all about him. This is his plan. You've heard me say this many a time. How many of you had a say in whether or not you'd be born? You know, the Bible actually says in Acts chapter 17 that he determined when you'd be born and where. He determined the time set for you in the exact places you would live. He's orchestrated every aspect. This is his plan. And the sooner we just say, Lord, show me what you want me to do in your plan. And stop me from ever thinking that it's time for me to take over your plan. Oh, we got our vision statements, don't we? And our mission plans. Oh, churches are real fond of having their vision statement and their mission plan. And we're going to do this for Jesus. And Jesus says, why don't you just walk with me and let me show you what I want you to do a day at a time. Who can you say, tomorrow we're going to do this, or tomorrow we're going to do that? I just want you to walk with me. We're going to deal next time when we get together, as we move into chapter 12, about the fact as we lay ourselves on the altar, we're to not consider ourselves or think of ourselves more highly than they ought, but each of us in sober judgments in accordance with the measure of faith that God's given. I hope to be used of God to encourage you on the joy as a Christian of stop trying to accomplish things for God and walk with him and let him do through what he has in mind, because he's got a plan for each of us. 
And how many times he's had to say to Jim Johnson, Martha, Martha, you're worried about a whole lot of stuff. Just walk with me. Some I give five talents, some I give three, some I, sorry, I give two, some I give one, each according to their ability, and I determine their ability. Yet the church has been forever saying, if you're a good Christian, you'll do this and you'll do that, and 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work, and everybody needs to pull their own weight, and you all need to knock on every door, and you, you understand all the stuff we've been fed, and Jesus has been saying all along, look, this is my plan, and I'm doing things in my time, in my way, and your flesh wants to figure it out, and your flesh wants to take it over, but I got it. The sooner you just walk with me, I may want Peter to go through some horrible suffering. I may want John to remain alive until I die. That's my plan. And how many of us have compared our marriages with the people around us in the church or our ability to have babies or not have babies with the people that are having babies and we want to have babies and we, 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 we get into all this stuff where we want to be God. We want to be his counselor. I've been a good Christian for all these years. You'd think he would, oh, be careful. Oh, the depth of the wisdom and the riches and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments, his paths beyond tracing out. Who's ever known the mind of the Lord? Who's ever been his counselor? Who's ever given a gift to God that he should be repaid? No, this is all about him. Through him and for him and to him belong all things. And as we're going to get into next week, but in his mercy and grace, he has chosen to let us be a part and beneficiaries of his plan. Isn't that amazing? What did Paul say to those people that were curious about what Paul had been sharing at the synagogue? He said, continue in the what? In the grace of God. In other words, the fact that you're even curious about this stuff means God has begun to open your eyes and God has begun to draw you. Remember John chapter 6, verse 44, no one can come to the Father unless the Spirit draws them first. Romans chapter 3 says that there's no one righteous, not even one. Verse 10, but verse 11 says no one even seeks God. No one understands. The Spirit of God, the fact that you're even curious about things of God, means God began His work in your heart first because you wouldn't even look for Him if He didn't. Oh, once He begins to draw you, you're going to be held accountable for how much you've been given. Continue in that grace, but it's grace. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. Listen closely to all the blessings and the promises, but also listen to how this is all about him. Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 3. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. That's what was planned ahead of time. What was predestined is that we'd be his sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, whenever it's all going to come to fruition, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works things all according to the counsel of his will, 
so that we who were the first to hope in Christ may, might be to the praise of His glory. In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glorious grace. Do you catch it? All this is talking about all these blessings that we have in Christ, but don't ever lose sight of the fact that it's all about Christ. It's all about Him. And one day everything's going to be centered around Him. And is now, but you have to be willing to acknowledge it. I want to say this as lovingly as I can. Get over yourself. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. You're going to be humbled either way. So why don't you choose to humble yourself instead of have God humble you? Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verses 1 and following. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he's raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages... He might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. Don't become proud. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're going to talk more about that next week when we start looking at what are the good works that he's prepared for you to walk in. Let's close tonight with Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 18. Romans chapter 8. Listen to verses 12 through 18. He says, so then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are the sons of God. For you didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children than heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, now provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. Next week, in view of God's mercy, and he and when we talk about mercy, it's not just being spared what we deserve. What's that other word that's always tied in with mercy? Grace. 
And that's not only just God saying, well, you should have got this, but you didn't. Be happy with that. He, on top of that, then blesses us with every spiritual blessing that's in Christ. You know, it's kind of crazy to me how many people, when they hear about forgiveness of sins, immediately start going to, oh, you mean I can just sin and I'm okay? Listen to me, and I'll close with an illustration that I read in a book just recently. It's a book that I've read years ago, but God had me running across it just recently in the last few weeks, and I've been reading it over and over, and I love it. It's called Classic Christianity by a man named Bob George. And he talks about this illustration, and we'll close with this illustration tonight. He talks about this guy that owns a big restaurant that has oodles and oodles and oodles of food. Just buffet line upon buffet line. And he goes out into the alleyway in the back and he goes to throw some trash in the dumpster. And he sees a skinny person all shriveled up eating trash out of the dumpster. And this owner of this restaurant comes to the skinny man and says to him, come in here. Let me show you something. He said, I'm the owner of all of this. And you have my permission to eat from this now for the rest of your life. Anything you want. All of this is yours. The man says, I can eat whatever I want. You can eat whatever you want. Do you think he's going to say, can I eat trash? No. The fact that anybody would say, you mean I'm free to sin? It's like saying, you mean I can eat trash? When we start to understand the blessings that we have in Christ Jesus, all this other stuff will look like garbage to us. And my prayer that Paul's prayer was for the believers right after Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, how we've been sealed, is that the eyes of your hearts would be open, that you know the hope to which he's called you, the glorious inheritance that we have in the saints, and his mighty power available for us who believe. He then goes on in chapter 3 and says, Oh, I pray that you would come to understand with all the saints the height and the width and the depth and the breadth of the love of God. Folks, listen to me. We'll get there some more next week. But you can't truly Offer to God your body as a living sacrifice until you really come to understand the mercy that you've received and the grace that you've received. Otherwise, it'll be a duty or a chore or an obligation. The fact that we even say, so I'm free to sin, means it's like us saying, I know I've got all this. I can go get garbage. You see how foolish that is? My prayer is that we would really come to understand all that we've been given in view of his mercy. In view of his grace, when I really understand it, serving him is no problem. Letting him decide what my life will look like in the days to come will be no big deal. I will stop trying to be his counselor because I'm just happy in all that he's given me. My prayer is for you to have that, and I pray you pray that for me. I love you all. We'll see you next week. Thanks for coming.